Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie sitting here on Sunday morning at Hareth and it was an action-packed Saturday at Hareth and uh, we'll get diving straight into the, all that action that we saw and uh, Gordo, the biggest talking point from Saturday and coming into race day here on Sundays, that last lap moment between Jonathan Ray and Alex Lowe's. Oh, I mean, a moment of high drama. Um, we didn't see it live on TV because they were covering the leader. And all of a sudden, Jonathan's coming up the straight and there's no Alex. And then we see Alex on his, in the gravel, getting back on the bike. It was, at that time, it was absolute chaos, wondering what was happening. And then we saw the actual replay and it was just as much chaos. It was just chaos out on the track when uh, Jonathan had got himself back in just close enough behind Alex to try something and went for it big time. And it just didn't pay off, and they had a collision, and Alex fell off. Uh, and it took a very, very long time, but eventually uh, there was a penalisation to Jonathan of dropping one place and then starting the next race from the back of the grid, um, which is a huge talking point. The incident itself, and then should they have Jonathan been punished or not? Uh, everybody's got an opinion. It's been a, a massive talking point, and and in some ways, uh, it's been a very dramatic opening day and two more races to go today yeah and we saw in that race as well that I think coming into the race there was the expectation I know I thought that we were going to have a much closer battle at the front as well because on Friday the practice times were really competitive between Ray Bautista and Michael Vandermark those was a little bit behind them but it looked like we could have had three or four riders having a really good scrap but in the race we saw that Bautista was able to make his move very early and then just bridge a gap manages tyres thereafter and hold a pretty decent lead over everyone else. Yes, and I think the the reason why, uh, as Alvaro uh, spoke to us yesterday, is that his bike's working again. Friday was difficult, they got the bike working well again yesterday. Uh, but ultimately, he said, we can keep our pace more or less at the pace we can do in qualifying and practice. We can keep that. Whereas everybody else seems to be able to make one fast lap just as fast as Alvaro or nearly there. And then but they can't do that for all the laps and they can't even do it from the very beginning in some cases. Obviously, Johnny would have wanted to keep right with Alvaro when he passed him very early yesterday and it wasn't possible to do. I'm sure he was absolutely giving it the max to stay with him. Uh, he also felt he didn't quite have a perfect setup because they've changed their setup after that Mizano test and they're still, Jonathan's not 100% sure why, but Alvaro is very much of the opinion that the reason he can do what he do is purely because they can set their bike up to do all the laps within a couple of tenths of what they're doing and a fast race tyre qualifying lap. Yeah, and uh, what we've seen from Bautista, and we'll get back to the last lap crash whenever we've finished talking about the tyres because that was a really important element of it as well. But what we've seen with Bautista is just that, as you said, Gordo, the ability to always hold and manage that tyre. But a lot of that also comes down to his riding style and the fact that just because of the differences between the Kawasaki and the Ducati and the Yamaha that he doesn't have to quite stress the tyres as much as some of the other riders he's got that bit of an advantage down the straight so he doesn't have to feel that he has to roll through everything as fast as everyone else Yes um, and there was a a comment from Jonathan yesterday that uh, when asked where were the advantages that that, uh, Bautista had were they the same kind of advantages he had earlier in the season when he was winning everything and Jonathan said yes so that shorthand for uh, every little straight here, there's no long straight here, but every little straight he can punch out the corners faster. Uh, he's got a really good front end set up when, when he gets it working um, that lets him just reel around the corners and get on the throttle early. So much about racing now is how you go into the corner. 
and strategies for breaking etc they've obviously got that nailed on most of the time um, so that when you enter the corner you break well and enter the corner well it means that the apex is going to be good and the exit is going to be good if you can't get into that first part of the corner then there's two more parts of the corner that aren't going to be as good yeah because one of the things that Bautista has sort of said more in the Spanish media than whenever he's been speaking in English but is that uh, the front end or the front tyre from Pirelli is strong enough to basically give him not the same feeling he had with a Bridgestone front in MotoGP, but the same level of confidence that he can press as hard as he wants on that front tyre, that the tyre life is stable enough with the front that he doesn't have to change his style during a race. It's not like with the Michelin front tyre in MotoGP, where you need to be really careful with that front tyre. For him, he's been able to be really aggressive with the front. The rear with Parati has always been good. They've made a lot of steps with that as well, including a new tyre for this weekend. So he just really feels that that front tyre gives him that ability to ride as he wants as well yes and the Pirellis because they're made in a completely different way from most other racing tyres because they're ultimately uh, took over this championship to try and improve their road product um, their tyres are a lot more simple in terms of the number of materials used etc they're not really rocket science tyres what they are are, are, are road tyres working at a very high level but what that does is it gives you an awful lot of feedback. It may not give you quite as much outright grip and so on as the uh, tyres that are uh, full of more technical materials, but ultimately you can feel more. And if you can feel more, you can push more. And if you've got a good bike and a good setup, you can push and know where it is. And when anything starts to, as all tyres do eventually drop off, you can then adjust for it. So you can maintain your lap time in a different way. So this is the, the main... Uh, thing for any rider that comes from any of the other uh, MotoGP classes is that because the Pirellis are softer in theory, that's what people keep saying about them, but what that actually translates to is feel. So Alvaro's had to come here and he can feel what his bike, he, the tyres are doing and therefore he can use his bike as much as he can within the limits of the front tyre, rear tyre. Yeah, so you can hear the super sport bikes going out in the background, so hopefully it won't distract too much from uh, what El Gordo is saying. But uh, the big thing, as you said, Gordo, is just that feel that Bautista gets, and that gives him a big advantage pretty much all the way through a race as well, because he just he can have that level of confidence now. But the way that he manages that race, manages his tyre, obviously it's a lot easier to manage that whenever you've been able to open up a four or five second gap like what we saw here in race one. Yeah, and it's an absolutely deliberate tactic is to, to break and go and make your own pace. One, because I think he knows that other people don't quite have it, especially in those early laps. Uh, and also because he seems to be able to have the concentration level when the tyres are maybe not up to operating temperature. Maybe he's still finding out that he might have made a click here or a click there. He seems to be able to take all that on board and, and, and process it while maintaining a pace that even someone like Jonathan Ray or Mikey Van der Mark or, or Alex Lowe's can't quite hang with in those early laps so it's a totally deliberate tactic get away be gone and then keep just go but keep going as fast as you can allowing for the fact that you're going to do 10, 20 laps and that's easy said it's, it's what every race should be but not everybody can do it uh, and he's got the package around him that lets him do it and he's got the experience to to in Motor Grand Prix which is obviously the perfect training base for someone so he's got all the tools at hand to come here and do the things he does. If his bike wasn't as good, he couldn't do what he's doing. But as I've said maybe from the beginning of the season, I don't see any real holes in that entire Ducati effort from the rider to the tech, to the setup, to the experience inside the team. 
on a brand new bike. I mean, that's the remarkable thing about it. This is, he's not come into a sorted bike that was already better than everything else, had more power and more revs and everything else. He's doing it on a bike that's ostensibly brand new. And the big thing is that, again, this weekend, what we've seen is he's the only Ducati able to do that. We've seen Chaz Davis, I think he was 11th, 11th, 6th in FP3 and then back down to 12th on the grid and struggling in yesterday's race as well. Like it's just been a big task for him to try and get his head around the bike. And you can see with how Bautista's riding it that he's just got the package underneath him that allows to carry his natural riding style, whereas Chaz always wants to be able to break really deep into the corner. That's his strength. That's his forte. And with this bike, he's just not quite able to do that yet. Rinaldi's been up and down. We've seen, obviously, Eugene Laverty's got an injury for this weekend. Miss Dimmelit as well. Tommy Bridewell's come onto that bike. But we just haven't seen any of the other Ducati riders in this championship able to get the most from that bike. In the British Superbike Championship, we've seen what well, Bridewell's had really good races. Scott Redding won three races at Donington Park. Josh Brooks won two races at Olton Park. The bike seems to be a little bit more suited in that championship for riders to be a little bit more easy to jump onto that bike and be quick. But here, it's been a real struggle for everyone. Well, I mean, the, the level is higher here, ultimately. The, 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 the ultimate performance level is higher. Um, the bikes are more technical here, so there's more things you can get wrong as well as get right. Um, Ducati, as we've probably touched on already this year, have got three different suspension. Uh, manufacturers involved in four with four bikes, uh, which to me isn't, doesn't seem the easy way of doing it for development for the whole the package as a whole. Um, but the, the Chaz has just uh, definitely not got any consistency in his setup. That's what he's chasing now is to get the kind of setup that took him to pole on the podium in, in the last round at a track he loves um, on what should be theoretically a much easier track for bike setup without the changes in elevation and off camber and uh, all the, the very, very interesting and very difficult and tricky sections that you have at Imola, you come to theoretically a much more geometric, simple, easy to set up track and he's 10th and 11th and, and you know yesterday battling through to finish I think 7th yesterday. I mean, you know, his consistency is the problem. Whether that's the bike, whether that's him, whether it's a combination, whether most of the best brains are on one side of the garage and not the other. But everybody denies that. Chaz says that Ducati are working flat out for him. Um, the, the, the Ducati have said more than once, we need to help Chaz as much as we can. We know the potential's there in the bike, it's just getting together. Um, yes, I've had a, long, a few long discussions with Chaz in the winter and, and recently about riding style and how it's impossible for either to completely change his riding style. But... Um, something's got to change there they've got to find a breakthrough that Batista found early in the season that's going to work everywhere or as Chaz said the other day maybe they're going to have to find a setup for every track to let him ride in the style that he has to ride in so the, the set, he said maybe next year they'll come knowing what a rear setup will be and what an MLS setup will be so they'll arrive with a different bike usually people arrive with a more or less similar bike to the one they had if they were winning and podium and podi- podiuming um, to, then they have to uh, they might have to find themselves bringing different bikes all the time which is to me is not the way forward you should, once you get a bike working well it should go from track to track with tweaks and clicks um, so obviously I think they're just not in a yeah, in the ballpark because the big thing is to be able to have that base setting that you're able to take one place to the next. We've seen in recent years that like probably the best example of it is the Yamaha works really well at some tracks and not at others. 
And suddenly, whenever Yamaha went to an Imola, a Laguna, a couple of other places on the calendar, they just couldn't get that bike to work. And then for this year, there's been a big emphasis placed on Yamaha by just trying to change how they set the bike up, how they generate their lap time. Obviously, in the past, Phillip Island was always a good track for Yamaha because it was all about let's carry as much corner speed as possible. Let's try and make sure that we're able to use the strengths of this bike. Whereas for this year, they've actually taken a step back and said, you know what, this might be the strength of our bike for a qualifying lap, but it's never going to make us win races because we have to break earlier. We're trying to roll around corners. We're finding people in the middle of corners. And suddenly they've been able to make a big step forward this year for both Lowe's and Vandermark just by virtue of the fact that they're not actually at the maximum potential of that bike, but they've given it a much bigger operating window. What any rider needs is consistency and enough pace to let them ride flat out but they also have to race other people as Tom Sykes will tell you about the BMW because he's uh, he doesn't have quite the same horsepower as everybody else yet he can make those fast laps in qualifying but he really struggles in the race when you can't quite pass the guy in front it means that other people can pass you and you can ride at the same pace as them but they, you can't get by them so you're stuck so every time somebody comes past you on the street you go back Yamaha exactly what you said have understood that maybe we need to come back a couple of percent in pure performance we know the bike can do that but in a race situation it needs to be more like this and it's certainly for consistency um, you need a bike that works everywhere or you're not going to be a competitor in the championship you, it's no good being brilliant at three tracks and pretty mediocre at the rest so I think they made a wise decision there um, they've got to go and find the ultimate limit of the bike and it's the same bike now for a few years more or less the package so I don't blame them for doing that but in terms of real race results they're much better coming back you talk to Jonathan Ray he just wants a bike that he can do what he wants on whether you give him five horses more or five horses less maybe actually doesn't matter but when he's got full confidence he can ride full, fully flat out um, for 20 laps and that's what Yamaha seem to have made a breakthrough in this year and I'll tell you what Gordo you're making steps as well you're only a few podcasts in and already you're able to give us a nice seamless link by mentioning Tom Sykes halfway through the show we've got an interview with Tom at the end of the show as well and uh, it's just Tom talking about all of his life up to now as well just talking about his relationship with his granddad trying to get himself started in the uh, world championships the British championships and then winning world championships with Kawasaki and uh, obviously now the project with BMW as well and the one thing that he's been saying an awful lot is BMW only started the first time they rolled out on track was at Christmas and they've gone up against a Ducati that spent a year testing they're going up against as he says a really polished machine from Kawasaki the Yamaha has a well matured machine now as well so he's just talking in terms of the project that he's undertaken with BMW and it really has been very impressive as well but when you look at what he left behind at Kawasaki obviously enough over the last five six years Kawasaki's been the bike to beat but suddenly for this year it's not the bike to beat we've seen that the Ducati has an advantage we've seen that Jonathan Ray's advantage over everyone else has been taken away just because he's having to ride harder he's under pressure he's suddenly getting himself into scraps for second and third position with the Yamaha riders and it really has been a bit of a sea change for Kawasaki because they've had to change their bike to try and combat what Bautista's doing and obviously enough we've seen the rest of the field also close that gap on Jonathan we saw it this weekend in particular in race one but what are you making of what Kawasaki have to do going forward? I think uh, they understand that what they've got isn't quite enough. I, I understand they also have to try and maximise what they've got. But in doing that, to me, occasionally, they've gone away from the strengths of the bike and the strengths of the rider. 
when you've got a sudden game changing of a bike, which the Ducati is, whether some people are making it work, some people aren't, but it is a game changing bike with the, the engine layout and the revs and all the, the, the development that's been in that, the Grand Prix technology that's the base of that bike. It's a different thing from what's in the paddock, from anybody else has got in this paddock right now. So to try and reach that new high watermark, it's actually several watermarks beyond what was here to beat before. And in doing so, I think they are, as well as finding some things that help Jonathan, they're going faster this year than they did last year. There's an improvement this year. That, as everybody says, everybody's going faster. It's just the guy out front is, is going much faster. But sometimes you can make a mistake and actually then go back a little bit. They made a fairly significant change in Jonathan's riding position in the recent test at Mizano, which he was much happier with. But that's testing. Maybe here at Hereth, maybe in terms of fighting in the... the uh, against other riders at full lean angle yesterday he said he was uh, he, the front tyre felt as if it was a little bit like chewing gummy as if it was a wet tyre almost um, so he maybe would only find that out while fighting and battling against other riders maybe you, it's something you can't simulate until you're having to defend lines as well yeah it's a bit like with Bautista as he said he wants to be able to get to the front and open a gap and then manage the race we saw him all the way through this weekend. He was struggling to get the bike stopped into turn 13. Big slides on the entry and things like that. But once you've opened up a one-second lead, it doesn't really matter. Then you're able just to focus on just being able to generate your lap time. And he's been able to do that with that margin in hands. The riders behind him, whereas, as you said, for Jonathan, have made those changes. Maybe they help him. They certainly helped him in the Super Bowl session. He took pole position. But once you're in a racing situation, it's, it, it is quite different. Yes, and... The riders, you know, it sounds daft, he's, he's moved his foot pegs a bit further back and his handlebars a bit further back. I mean, so what? I mean, that's pretty old school, basic start and set up thing. But it's such an important thing for the rider now. The bikes are so tuned, any bike that does 220 odd horsepower um, and has got all the modern racing tyres, etc. That you can, every single thing you do makes a difference. There is no kind of well, we'll suck it and see and, and, and you can override and, and make up for it. You can't do that anymore. Um, and he's tried something new that uh, maybe they, they came here quite confident this was going to be better and maybe not Jonathan actually kind of doubted himself a little bit in his post-race press conference yesterday thinking maybe maybe not maybe we might need to think something else um, but it's all happening because they're having to find a higher level if there was no new Ducati this year um, or, the, or the one that it is anyway maybe they wouldn't be having to do this and Jonathan would be competing every weekend. Um, but it's been, it must have been very difficult for those guys to have so much domination for so long to be the best, not the best equipped, but the best funded by a, a little bit, not by what people think sometimes, I think. Um, to be the top dog and have everything under control, maybe one bad race and then 14 good ones, and then all of a sudden the whole dynamic changes and the target is maybe just too far away with the technology they've got now it, this is a new thing for them to deal with so there's a psychological side as well they, they will be trying harder to stay with Batista than anybody else will because they were the guys that were winning so maybe they're going a little bit off beam and maybe they just have to try stuff that they only find out what's or not in a race yeah and one of the things that uh, we talked to Jonathan after the race whenever he was talking to the media was about the rear tyre because that was a new rear tyre for him a new construction from Pirelli and uh, that's what we thought was going to be the issue for him. And it was interesting that he was talking in terms of the front tyre being the problem. Yes. Um, and again, I think only now when you see the data after that race, they'll understand what happened, why it happened, etc. So 
they might stick with what they've got. They might obviously there might be a change for the short race. Um, it's hot here, and obviously that has an effect on tyres. Uh, you can't you can do a long run, but you can't necessarily do a long run in exactly the same conditions you're going to get in a race. All these things count. It, we're, we're working in such small margins here. This is not MotoGP. A lot of people get the wrong idea about what a superbike, but it is running very, very high-performance four-stroke motorbikes at the absolute limit. And the standard's gone up this year because Alvaro's turned around, so everybody's now going into unknown territory. Everybody, even the Kawasaki team that won four championships, they're all with Jonathan. When we saw Jonathan struggling in the... Probably, it was really early in the race as well. It was like from lap four to lap five, he started to drop off his pace. And we saw Van der Mark and Lowe's able to catch him. Both of them managed to to pass him. But uh, Van der Mark was able to bridge that gap, take advantage of Ray and Lowe's fighting. But Van der Mark's race yesterday really was a very strong race. He's he's such an enigma, uh, Michael, because he's... He's like under the radar all the time. Even when he gets a second place, it's, it kind of was like a stealth second place yesterday. Um, and it's he, he's such an accomplished racer, Michael. Maybe in practice he's, he, he doesn't make the fastest laps and maybe they spend all their time working out what to do in the race. But it is quite significant, I think, that Michael was the one that can more often find his way forward in a race day when he hasn't necessarily had the absolutely most wonderful practice sessions. Um, that's what you want. That's the kind of, if you're going to have a one strong performance, it needs to be during races. Maybe he needs to qualify better to be, if he wants to beat Bautista or, or compete, he needs to maybe qualify in that front row every single time and go away with him. And who knows, maybe he'll be able to keep that pace for a few laps and see how it goes, but he's, he doesn't ever seem to be in a position to be the guy right in the slipstream of, of the guy that disappears out front. Um, so maybe that's what he needs to work on, but his race performance is, as I say, it's a stealth performance. It's strange. It, he finished on the podium and it wasn't it wasn't like a big headline. Yeah, I thought like whenever you look at Vandermark, the peaks are always really high with Mikey. Anytime he's got a bike underneath him that can, we saw it last year at Donington Park, that can win a race, he went out and did it. We saw him at Suzuka in that battle with Johnny as well, where for the first hour of that race, the two were going absolutely at it all the way through that race. We saw it at other times over the last few years as well. Anytime he's got a, a real sniff, he can get the most out of himself in the bike. And the big thing for him is just to try and make it where the troughs are a little bit higher. And as you said, Gordo, able to qualify a little bit better. He said he made a mistake in a Super Bowl lap, puts him back on the third row of the grid. You're not winning from the third row of the grid in World SBK this year. But for Van der Mark, if he's able to have another strong race in the sprint race, it could give him the chance of being able to qualify well and then actually have a chance in race two this weekend. But I think when you look at what he's been able to do over the last couple of years, he has made a big step forward. Yes, I think his, uh, his approach, his understanding of the Yamaha, the, I think the, the more consistent the bike gets, the more consistency he'll be able to bring in race situations. That's a big element of it all. He can put out those laps one after the other, after the other, after the other. Um, he's a very tall rider, and that's never an advantage, but it doesn't ever seem to be a particular disadvantage with him. He's not having to wrap himself inside the bike or whatever. He, he, that Yamaha has a very, very good bike. The dynamics of this class have changed a little bit this season, but that Yamaha certainly does seem to be now getting better every single time it goes out. It, it, it's much more consistent, and that's what they were missing. And it's still there a little bit, but I think qualifying is the secret for Michael. If you can qualify well everywhere, 
once he gets that sniff of a podium, he becomes a different guy. And before we get back to the last lap instant, we might as well talk about one of the other Yamahas with an exceptionally tall rider. And uh, Laura's Baz back on the World SBK grid, Tenkade are back on the World SBK grid. And I want you to be perfectly honest about this, Gordo. How many times did you write Tenkade Honda this weekend? Uh, I've done it a few times, I'll, but I can guarantee you'll be doing it a lot more. Um, it's great to see them. Uh, well, I haven't read it once, actually. Sorry, you just got it there. So you try to sneak that one in under there. No, I haven't done it once, uh, but it'll happen. Um, no, it's so funny seeing them. And of course, where did they put them in the paddock? Where is their hospitality unit in the paddock? Right next to their former partners, which uh, is a beautiful bit of free song going on there. Um, the, it's great to see them back. They were a real miss in the championship. They've, they've been such an integral part of this championship for so long. Uh, and the kind of old school way of doing it, a dealer team that became a, a, a world championship representative team. Um, now they've taken, they've gone down, they've forced down another path. Some of us really thought they might not be back this year. It's just an awful big logistical ask to start a season in the middle. But here they are. They were so determined to do it, and they did that so that they would be ready for next year. So it shows how serious they are that they didn't want to sacrifice this year. They're probably going to have to spend money this year that they, they've had to find um, very quickly but they don't they want to do that so that they're able for a full challenge next year that shows the ambition of those guys what happened to them wasn't very good but it does seem to have put a fire in their belly to continue once they made a decision they were going to continue they seem to want to come back as hard as ever yeah and the motivation that we've seen this weekend from them they really want it they want to go out and show on the, exactly what they're missing out on and when you talk to guys within the team the one thing they've said is this bike the Yamaha has got so much potential and so much that they feel that they can tune into it as well and obviously Tenkara have always been one of the best engine tuners in Europe and uh, they feel a lot of confidence that with this package they can get some really good results. Yes I mean that's their raison d'etre always was um, the, they supplied so many people uh, with race machinery and parts and engines over the years they're metal guys Unfortunately, the last few years showed that they were, you know, they were in electronics guys. What they've said to me this weekend is that the electronics package from Yamaha is not just operating at a very high level. The the way it works and how you use it is actually very good. It's clear. It's 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 uh, logical. Uh, when you make changes, there's a system in place and a strategy in place that, to allow people to make tweaks and changes without redoing too much. Um, so they're very impressed with that. It's what was missing, you know, in some ways it was what was missing from their package. They went their own way with electronics and maybe sometimes that was a good thing, but it also is the hard way of doing things. Now they've got a whole package of a bike that it looks like they're going to leave that stuff alone, take guidance from the manufacturer that lets them do what they're good at, which is the engine and the tuning within the much more restricted rules you have nowadays than when they started in the paddock. Um, but that's what they intend to do they've already got their own wheels and brakes on it they've gone a different way already there'll be a bit more of that um, and I think you know that's part of what World Superbike should be you should be able to bring your own uh, work to try and get your own benefit as well as using the kit parts and the cost control parts that are part, an integral part of this paddock now yeah and the one thing for had is they've made it pretty clear that they've got big ideas for the project as well they're looking to run two bikes next year they're looking to run a super sport team they're looking to run a 300 team they really want to be back to what they were 
before there was the increased involvement from Honda Europe over the last few years, they won't be able to go back to being that small independent team that just does what they want. Yes, and the thing is, it'll be interesting to see if it's still possible to do that in the modern era. Uh, when you've got factory bikes and you've got factory development, um, that usually takes things to a very high level. It will be interesting to see if a smaller scale team doing their own thing, having their own engine tune actually makes a better one or just a different one, or they actually find it's very tough to match what is coming out now, especially as there are quite a lot of stock parts in the engine. If you find, oh, if only we had a stronger such and such, well, you can't, you've got to run the one that comes. Uh, and the other thing I think they might find the difficulty, uh, I've already spoken to them about it, is the engine limitation. Seven engines a year means you can't go away, tune up, go out, ah, right, we found this, and start again. You've got to seal seven engines over the year. So, You've got to start, I mean, if you're going to Australia, how many engines do you take per rider? You've probably got to take three. So there's three, you know, even if you only use two of them or one of them, you've got to take, just in case anything goes wrong or crashes, you've got to take more. Yeah, because that's one of the issues that we've seen with BMW. They're trying to make big steps forward with their engine. And the talk is that at Mizano, they'll have their engine upgrade, but it'll find them, you know, four or five brake horsepower is what they're saying. They're still just making incremental steps because of that risk. Yes, um, and obviously such a new project as well. They have to prove things are going to work in a real race situation. Dinos are dinos. You can get the power, you can check the map, you can simulate it on a, 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 a rolling road dyno, you can simulate it on an eddy current dyno and simulate this racetrack. But until you get here with a real rider and the wind against you in hot weather, you don't know if your engine's going to hold together. So the engine limitation is a good thing in many ways, but it also slightly slows down development. Maybe that's what it was intended to do, but it doesn't help someone like Tom if he needs 10 or 15 horsepower to really compete that he's getting stuff at five at a time. Because otherwise that bike looks ready to, to podium. I mean, it really does. It's just, it's, there's no many gaps in that bike. The one thing really is the, the engine power that Tillian Pass has we touched on it. Yeah, and uh, that'll be well be interesting to see what happens with the BMW going forward. So just before we get to the Tom Sykes interview, let's go back to the last lap. We touched on it initially on the podcast, but that last lap we saw Jonathan Ray was struggling for most of the race, and himself and Alex Lowe's got into a proper ding dong battle. They were overtaking each other. I think it was turn one, turn two, turn six, yeah, turn eight, turn nine and then down in towards turn 13 as well. So we saw plenty of battling with those two riders, and ultimately it came down to the last lap, and uh, we saw Johnny get a penalty for it, but uh, it was pretty clear it's uh, an instant that warranted the penalty as well. It was a mistake from Ray, just tried to force his, issue, force his way down the inside and clash with another rider. I don't think anybody... When you see that Johnny was relatively... He got closer to Alex than he was five corners before. He was much closer. You're expecting someone to take a chance. It's the last corner at Hereth. How many incidents have we seen over the years? Um, I think uh, everybody's got a different opinion on what happened. Ultimately, Johnny went for a gap. The gap proved not to be there. Uh, he had to try and make it around the corner. And then as a consequence, he, uh, him and Alex collided. And Alex lost his glove in that crash. I mean, what a weird... It was a strange crash in so many ways, but... I think ultimately the, the FIM jury decided, okay, enough's enough. Somebody, you know, we don't want any. We, this this stops here. I think is what the final uh, thought process was. It took a long time for that decision to come down. So obviously there was a lot of discussion and counter argument and reviewing a video. It was a very long time before that final decision to give him a penalty. Um, after an investigation, 
So it wasn't a clear-cut, we're going to penalise this guy. Somebody eventually decided to do that. Um, there has to be a penalty for unfair riding. Nobody thinks that Jonathan did that deliberately. No one in the world. Alex as well. It's a recent incident. He said so after the words and he's the guy that suffered because of it. Ultimately, it's a discussion point and everybody's going to have a different opinion. But let's take the analogy of a football game. There's a defender and attacker running towards the goal. The first one to the ball either scores or saves a, saves a goal being scored. The defender puts in a tackle, misses the ball by two centimetres, just two centimetres too slow, and takes the other guy out. That's a penalty in football. In racing, there has to then be a decision of is that a penalty or is it not a penalty? In football, that's all that happened. It was a, it was a, a, a fair attack to try and take the ball from his opponent that didn't work out, but like a goalkeeper coming out trying to save it from an attacker, if you miss the ball and collect it, the, the, the attacker, it's a penalty. And that's what happened. Somebody applied a penalty. Uh, it's, a, it's going to be a bone of contention. Yeah, because for me, like the Harath is a great circuit. Everyone loves it. And we all love it because it turns our team. We love it because you can see from Ray on that final lap, he can't make the move at turn six. So suddenly you have to start thinking, well, where can I make the move? Last corner, last lap, it's all you can do. So from by the time we get through turn eight down into the stadium section, all he's trying to do is just carry as much momentum through each corner, start edging himself closer and closer to lows. And he does do that. And then he's just a little bit too far back on the run into turn 13 to try and make the move. We see Lowe's take the normal defensive line down into turn 13 where you basically leave it where the rider has to ride around the outside. Ray has put himself on the outside but he's just that little bit too far back to try and run around the outside like we saw Eugene Laverty do against Marco Melandri or something like that. So you end up trying to push it down the inside and we've seen that move an awful lot. You only have to look back to Rossi and Jibber now. I think that's about as close an example as you'll really see from all the last laps here at uh, Hareth and Johnny just tries to get down the inside and it's just not not there to be had I think if uh, if Johnny it's just in my opinion but if Johnny had been on the inside of Alex going into that corner and obviously lining up an obvious inside pass and even if that a repeat of the incident had happened I think there might have been a different thought process as well I think it's the fact that Johnny cut over from being on the right hand side of Alex into the inside left side maybe that could persuade people's opinion. I haven't spoken to anybody who's involved in that decision and I don't think they're going to talk to anybody anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a very complicated situation. Yeah, I think like that switchback is probably what makes it look more dramatic as well. Whereas if you're right there behind them, for one thing, you don't have that 10 metres you have to come across and different things like that. So maybe then by the time you get down the inside, if you're right behind the rider in front, you can release that break. And instead of releasing that break and having to stand up like Johnny did, you just release the break and run a little bit wide. You get through and then the rider that had been in front just holds their normal line and they just get you back on the exit. So it was one of those ones where I think Johnny got caught a little bit between two minds as much as anything else. Do you run around the outside? He's trying to set that move up as well as leaving himself in a position to try and get down the inside. Whereas maybe for that last lap being that little bit too far back from Lowe's, and you're probably only talking about a couple of metres too far back, but suddenly you've got that extra ground to make up by cutting back across the track to try and get down the inside. So one of those ones where really you just get caught between two minds, proper racing instant, as you said, nothing intentional about it, but just like with the penalty, it doesn't have to be intentional to be a foul. 
Yes, um, and I mean it is a shame, and it's a shame for today that Jonathan's going to have to start at the back of the grid because there's another, you know, maybe if they made a change in the bike, he might be able to be a bit more of a challenge for the lead, um, for the for the pure spectacle side of things. But at the end of the day, rules are rules. It's just how they're applied. What we're discussing is should there have been a, a penalty or not. Um, and the other thing about Jonathan's pass is because he was maybe he was thinking that Alex is going to be an even tighter and a more even more defensive line to stop that dive up the front, and he he was going to do a Eugene Laverty and ride right around someone in the final corner. Races have been won that way here before, not often. It's a pretty audacious pass, but where he where they started going into that corner, you thought maybe that's what was on his mind. The only way he was going to get past was if Alex goes in even tighter and then he can rail around the outside, still on a fast enough line to go around him. Yeah, and uh, so it's going to make this afternoon's race interesting as well to see whether or not we see anything like that as well. It's especially the 10 lap race where in theory everybody should be closer together because there's fewer laps. Everybody can run a harder, a more race-oriented set in a softer tyre, a, a more race-ready tyre. Um, I, I think there's more scope for it in the short race today than there is in the long race, but it's an F. There's always, if you've got two rides together, somebody's going to have a go at that last corner. And there is a lot of personal opportunities at Hareth. It might not all be completely obvious, but there's lots of places where you can pass people if you feel brave enough or you know you've got a little tenth of a second extra. Um, so that 10 lap race today, I th- I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I think it should be a really good race. I have to say, whenever I heard you talking about like the possible penalties in football and not trying to be intentional and not do it deliberate, I've always been an absolute dirty centre half and full back on the football pitch so it was always deliberate for me whenever I took someone down in the box uh, yeah I never really played football uh, in any kind of high level but um, five or size is what we did more than anything else because it, it rained so much in Scotland you've got to play indoors the wind can't play outdoors so we played five a side so everybody was a defender and everybody was attacking and everybody played dirty it was always somebody went off you never got to the end of the day without somebody half pulling off the park with a, with a sore ankle or a sore knee. It was a bit, a bit like that now whenever I'm playing. But I'll tell you what, Gordo, it's definitely not Scottish weather here this weekend. It's fantastic. It's wonderful to be at a racetrack where it's been... Uh, I mean, we had a bit of rain overnight, one of the nights, but during the day it's been it's been warm. We're here in June. It's southern Spain in June. It's going to be hot. Um, and it's all the better for it. I came in yesterday, sunburn on the back of my neck. I'd been out, you know, for a short period of time and all of a sudden they went, oh, I'm getting sunburn on my neck. But that's what racing should be. Racing should be a sunny summer occupation where you come to glorious places and enjoy the weather as much as you do the racing. And, and there's, for such a geometric modern racetrack, there's just a little bit something special about it. it maybe it's just the Spanish crowd, whatever. When Bautista won yesterday, I mean, the whole... Oh, please! Piled into the paddock. I've never seen so many people around the paddock show, and the the podium ceremony, all singing and chanting and really enjoying it. Um, so it's a kind of special place to come racing to Jeep MotoGP Superbike. It's got a bit of history for one of those tracks. It was at the time. Oh, it's too modern. It's too geometrical. It's too regular. It's it's not got the character of Spa or something like that. That's true, but. When you've got 220 horsepower motorbikes flying around, it's, it's a hell of a spectacle you're watching. Yeah, I tell you what, whenever you stand on the inside of turn eight, it doesn't matter if it's a MotoGP bike or a World SBK bike, 
you always think, what, I tell you what, that's, that's pretty fast through that section. And Hareth is a lot of those corners where you end up just getting the breath taken away from you. And as Gordo said there, if you haven't seen any of the pictures from the podium ceremony from yesterday and in all, in all likelihood from today's racing as well, have a look at some of them because a massive crowd down in front of the podium for Bautista. And that's good to see. It shows that uh, Bautista's making the impact here in Spain as well. Yes, it's it's... We were slightly disappointed there with the Aragon effect. It wasn't as much as we thought it would be. I'm not sure where the crowd figure is going to be ultimately at the end of this weekend. But the the people that are coming here are really getting off on it. And uh, I think the weather helps. But ultimately, to see a guy from your own country winning is always the best thing for any crowd to, to take in. And the Spanish people are very passionate. Uh, MotoGP might be the bigger thing, but the people that come here to watch this race are getting the money's worth seeing a guy like him doing what he's doing. Um, it's a great venue for coming. I love coming here. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you're going to get your money's worth with this podcast. Not only have you heard Gordo chatting there for a half an hour, we're also going to get Tom Sykes chatting now. So we'll have a quick listen to what Tom has to say about some of his background and some of the work that's been done by the BMW World SBK team. So until the next time on the Panic Pass podcast from the World SBK paddock, myself, Steve English, and Gordon Ritchie will leave you with Tom Sykes. So obviously, yeah, for me, like you've just said, my granddad Pete Brook is um, a massive part of my life, and you know, he, he, I I owe him. Well, I still feel I owe him everything. You know, he he was the one who, well, he's my biggest fan. He he always thought that um, I had the potential to be world champion, and um, he's, he supported me through. Um, through everything really so um, you know I'm here because of his support his investment and um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic that he's still coming to the races you know he still comes to the European rounds uh, it was absolutely fantastic that I was here in a ref um, able to get the world championship together you know it, it's, we started off together with a dream passion um, I think it's it's been nice because he's a um, big motorcycle enthusiast and uh, he still rides at the tender age of, of um, 80 years old and uh, yeah so to to get that world championship together was absolutely priceless and um, a moment which I'll uh, can obviously take with me for the rest of my days and then like from when you were a kid like what were you riding that gave him that sort of thought that it would be worth pursuing yeah it, it was basically I mean I was just riding an, an Italjet 50 and a Yamaha PW80 then obviously we things progressed to motocross I did um, a Yamaha YZ80 then we did a year of trials and he just always thought my natural ability on, on a bike you know so we went from motocross changed the discipline to trials and we started road racing and immediately was you know very competitive at that so we just pursued that and um, Mick Grant used to live basically across the road from, from where my granddad would be as, as the crow flies obviously there was a field in between but um, yeah so obviously I had a little um, a little bit of help and guidance from, from Mick as well at that time uh, just to point us in the direction of four stroke racing he said look racing's heading to the four stroke and how right he was so yeah yeah it was uh we took my granddad's road bike 
where we went and, and turned it into a race bike and away we went. Would Mick have been an important part of your development as well or was it? Um, I just think he, he uh, certainly helped us in, in that moment for, you know, for let's just helping, helping us make those decisions and uh, choose the right right start of my career. You know, I started on a RS125 GP bike. Well, obviously, I was the the year after I was doing a British 125 Championship. But you know, through Mick's kind of knowledge, he said, "Look, you need to go four-stroke racing." So we did. You know, we, we even stopped racing the 125 halfway through the year, jumped onto the four-stroke, and uh, yeah, it was a good good decision. And then, from whenever you were a kid, like obviously, you have an aunt or close now. What was it like whenever you were, you know, pretty young? Yeah, I've got I've got three brothers, and. Um, you know, we're all probably all as mad as each other in one way or another. So, um, uh, no, there's only me who does the racing. Obviously, a couple of my brothers, you know, enjoyed riding the bikes, but um, but it was kind of me who was who was heavily into the racing, and obviously my, my granddad supported that. So, um, I've got a great family behind me. They, you know, there's no no jealousy. They they support me and. Um, you know, I'm blessed to have an extended family and each and every uh, individual uh, are so supportive. Then obviously whenever you started in the British Championship and then you moved on for 600 and things like that, like, what was the moment where you sort of thought like this is actually a, a viable option down the line as opposed to just a bit of a, a hobby? Well, it's funny, I, I was at school and I gave all my effort at school and one of the teachers would always say, Tom, you jackass! You know, and I thought, which was quite strong when you're only a teenager. Quite, quite yeah. a strange American accent yeah. for Yorkshire as well, but like... Well, I don't know where he was from. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I got called a jackass and kind of said, motorcycling would never give me a career and I need a, you know, a job and need to study and yeah, kind of proved him wrong really. Um, it was, uh, I mean, I started racing when I was 14, but it was kind of... You know, when I was 17, I was racing for TAS Suzuki. For me, it all kind of started to take off when I was about 18, 19. You know, getting, getting a little ride on the Rizla Suzuki, then essentially ended up riding for them a, a year or two later, riding for Paul Bird in 2007. You know, it, it was kind of, kind of that moment where I thought, right, I can make a career of this, but then... Um, things just uh, just developed and I'm very grateful that you know my granddad always he's hard on himself really he thinks so oh, we should have gone the GP route and uh, tried to get in it that, that way you know but the route we went at the time was obviously a lot more cost effective there's no way we could have gone down the GP route you know that's uh, people you see families remortgaging their house and losing property to try and get their sons into um through it that way and I said to my granddad no 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 what you did was perfect you know we, we've tried our best and we're, we're world champions at the end of the day we've been consistently at the sharp end and I you know like I said I'm I'm forever grateful yeah me and my granddad have similarities and you know one of them whether it's good thing or bad thing you know we we, we chase perfection sometimes perfection is not there and obviously looking back there's things we could do different um, 
Do you think it are the things you would have done differently that would lead to a different result? No, not, not necessarily. I think I think me and my granddad are both grafters, and when times were hard, um, we kept fighting. You know, for the Kawasaki when that wasn't competitive, I had a bad year at Yamaha, but we kept going and we came back, and uh, he had full support. You know, he was so supportive of me. Still, even in those times when uh, you know I finished whatever 14th in the championship with Kawasaki, but he still said, you know, that we can be world, I can be a world champion. I, I kind of thought, blimey, you know. But and when I was world champion, I, you know, I always said fair play, you know, because that was his his uh, thought and target all along. Yeah. How important was it for you to? You said make the switch to four strokes, but how important was it to make the switch to a superbike really early as well? Because you were one of those first lads in the yeah. that really was doing it at a young age. Yeah, I think it was good. My, my style suit the, the superbike, and the, my transition was very, very easy. Um, going four stroke was very important when we did in the middle of 2001. But um, going superbike early as well was also very important because you learn a lot I'm happy with my rooks I went on a 125 GP bike to start which you have a lot of uh, a lot of different variables on the bike which you can change and understand and helps you develop as a rider then the initial part of the four stroke was quite easy gearing blah 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 then obviously it's a super sport super bike so I'm you know I'm still only 33 and I've had such a lot of experience in on different bikes you know makes of bikes makes of tires makes of suspension makes of electronics you know i've got so much uh, knowledge and that that just helps me on the track and helps uh, the guys develop so uh, no i'm happy with how things have gone my only regret is obviously that <clears throat> through my career i had those couple of moments where a couple of guys kind of took the brain out for a moment and and I still believe it cost me two world titles and people are always going to say oh blah 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 but they the people who say that are the jealous type and uh, but under our own steam I still believe we, we could have had three world titles on the bounce and it's okay people are entitled to the, their opinion you know a lot of these people who say I'm bitter like I said are, uh, are jealous and they don't understand the sacrifices that it takes um, but for me I, I just think what a shame because without those two ignorant moments from those two riders that you know we, we had three world titles and um, again I think that would have just created a slightly different um, career path let's say but how just do you think people's perception of you would be as well if you had a one those yeah I don't know I think it's uh, yeah, probably people's perception would have changed, but ultimately the people that matter know know the situation and know my my qualities and, and also value my qualities. So I'm, I'm grateful for this. A lot of other people who have an opinion generally don't matter anyway, and I don't lose sleep over it. Obviously, over the last few years, there was always a big comparison between yourself and Johnny. Yeah. But when you look back at your teammates right through your career, I think like you were John Reynolds' teammate at Rizla, weren't you? I did, yeah, I did. And then I'll team with him. And yeah. Like you've always had to test yourself. 
good teammates, which helps. And like I said, Ben Spees came in and absolutely smoked everybody, including me, his teammate. But I can live with that. And it's the same with Jonathan. You know, Jonathan came in and uh, um, just at the time, things changed. And yeah, he beat me. But I also know with um, a different, let's say the bike that I was riding in 13 and 14, Okay, again, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I believe I would have beaten him. It was just the, the current end, you know, the engine, etc. In, in the Kawasaki in those years, unfortunately, had to change because of the rules, and uh, it took away my best tools in my in my toolbox, and uh, uh, I had to ride it in not a very good way, and and he beat me, and, and that's fine, you know. And I went to bed. Um, and I can sleep because we had the same machinery and uh, it was a better rider on the day. And like I said, that's what keeps me motivated because, okay, I can accept defeat because I knew, I always think of development in future years and, and I know that um, with different set of circumstances, uh, I can and would have been stronger. Change of back then to being at home and obviously like you talk about your granddad you talk about your brothers yeah talk about how important family is like how important is it for you to be with two kids as well yeah very very important despite what people have tried to do you know to me over the last few years my you know my, my family and my two daughters uh, are the world to me and obviously you know one and it's not a regret but it, it's a hard thing with a race in life you've got to be so focused you've got to you know you've got to tr uh, be physically fit focused you know to a very very high level in order to execute your job here at the track because there's no margin for error so your mindset has to be on point and your physical performance also has to be very very impeccable so the only again not regret but hard thing is that you have to find a very good balance between that and, and your, your children and, and uh, I honestly feel that um, I found that balance and um, yeah I'm just blessed my two daughters are absolutely um, you know so beautiful I've great personalities so um, yeah I, I enjoy spending as much time with, with those and my family and friends as possible I am I do like to spend time with family and friends and um, and drink coffee you know that that's it I'm quite a simple man really and then from a trainer perspective like you mentioned there about being out on the bike but like what other riding do you do do you do no not nothing I just uh, that's it I used to be heavy into my running I used to enjoy my running but um, again now I, I enjoy my cycling I've um, last couple of years got into that and it's lovely, you know, I've got a friend who I go out with, you know, Mikey. So, I, you know, I do different training through the week and then if I can tie up with him on his, you know, on his spare time, you know, in, on the weekends, it's uh, great. Get out, put some hours in the tank, a bit of socialising, catching up, try and persuade him to do a coffee stop. Uh, but yeah, you know, I like spending. Some cyclists need persuasion for a coffee. Well, he's a bit of a freaky. He's unbelievable and dumb don't really like breaking off uh, partway through his through his hours in the saddle but um, yeah and apart from that I used to like one of my hobbies was karting I don't really do 
any other forms of motorcycling, that I, you know, but I feel it's quite a risk. I don't want to jeopardise me getting to here on the track. Um, but again, I've knocked karting on the head because because of my two girls. You know, I juggle time now between keeping fit and family, and at the moment, I've not got the time to uh, to put my uh, my hobby in of, of motorsport. So um, yeah, family time, training time coffee here up there and uh, yeah and generally that's it I've been I've been busy you're in a paddock for over the last 10 years it's been that generation of British riders that have done yeah. all the women but like what was it that made that group special when they were coming through BSB and the early years here I don't know you've only got to look back at me at that era when we came through there was um, you know it was me Cal Crutchlow you know Jonathan uh, yeah, Leon, but he'd been around a bit longer at the time. But then Jonesy, unfortunately, Jonesy, um, you know, uh, well, we all know what happened to Jonesy. But again, he was an incredible talent. There was uh, Stuart Easton, Jesus, the list goes on. It was an incredible um, pack that came through. So ultra competitive anyway. Plus, we were learning our craft on, on production, you know, on super sport and super bike. So obviously coming here, I think the Brits, because we don't have the sponsors that the Spanish and the Italians do, we naturally went to a lower budget racing, which is production based. So uh, I personally think that's why the Brits are strong in super sport, super stock, super bike. Um, because that's where we learn our craft on. But I do believe there's a couple of British super bike riders here, which with the right package would also be, you know, uh, up to up to scratching in MotoGP, but quite closed doors, isn't it? You mentioned package there as well, Tom. And like obviously, we've seen it this year with Bautista coming across. He's got the ideal package for him, and you had that in the past as well. Yeah. How important is that for any rider just to be able to get the most from themselves? Imperative, you know. It's it's an absolute pivotal circumstance to get the results. And uh, yeah, I mean, in the past, we mean. 13 and 14, well 14 we were actually a lot faster but had a little bit of bad luck and uh, and uh, certainly lost quite some points that year but yeah I think I couldn't do anything wrong when I was riding that year it was un, you know, unbelievable uh, and How easy is it whenever you're riding like that? Oh, gee, oh it's like clockwork, it is quite simple but again if you've got the natural ability the bike, an engine to support you, the team to support you. You turn up and do your job, and, and you're all right. And it, that's that's when it's easy. The hard bit is when you're obviously having to graft and uh, try not to get sucked in. You know, the the thing is, you've got to understand your limitations and, and work work to it. And like I said, it, it's, that's why I'm excited where I am. Because we, we started this project at basically at Christmas time last year and we've knocked on the door of the podium, should have had some pole positions and in reality that's pretty impressive. And then for the rest of the season, what is the goal? Just to get some of those poles, get on the podium? Yeah, do you know what? It's probably a bit more past the target of what everyone was expecting, but yeah, I want to... I wanna, uh, if I can win some races this year, yeah. What's it like working for Shotman as well? Very well, different to working with the Rotors. 
very different what I was Sorry. working with. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And um, but Sean's got pedigree. We've seen him, uh, you know, what he's done in BSB, and then obviously he's, he's come here and he's run a tight ship. And you've only got to go in the garage. You've got to look at the race trucks, look at the hospitality. It's all top level, and um, you know he, he runs a good team. So I think him and BMW have a great pairing. You know, it's great to be part of this project, and and like I said, it it's quite new to everybody so that's what gives me uh, excitement and motivation for the for the future and um, like I said now that my personal life is boxed off um, my target is get back to um, the real Tom Sykes and uh, like I said my target is ultimately and I believe I've got time to be world champion again.